0: Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life
1: spent in a miserable way.
2: Welcome to Footwork.
1: All right, all right,
2: all right. Before we get started today, we just wanted to say, welcome to the club. Footwork.club is now live, the official Footwork website where you can find all the Footwork content, including some new features. That's right. Along with our podcasts and guests,
1: you can find exclusive written articles, including blogs about our own stories, free products that can help with chasing the dream, as well as our first official merch. All
2: that and more. So join the club.
1: So today we have a very special guest on, a leading sports psychologist in the field and something we've been very honored and privileged to, uh, to meet with. So Dan Abrams, thanks for joining the, the, the club and welcome to Footwork.
0: Sure, until Great to meet you both. Great to be here. Really excited to be speaking with you
1: both today. Amazing. So we have a little motto here. It's essentially make your own path. And you know, meaning to follow your own dreams. You're not held to the normal roots if they do not fulfill you. So, someone who's definitely made their own path in this world, what does that mean to you?
0: Oh, good first question.
1: <laughs> we go deep right um, in right up right yeah, off the bat.
0: Yeah. Um, what does that mean to oh, um I would say that. To me, it's being brave and bold to, to engage in new experiences, um, being constantly curious, um, uh, to, to chip away at being the very best that you can be. I think those sort of a mix of those three things, a, a curiosity, a braveness and a boldness, um, and doing the things that chip away at being the very best that you can be those would be if you mix those three things up I think you create quite a, a potent life cocktail
2: love that. love that love that now Dan how did you um, get into sports psychology I mean it's definitely something Dylan and I as athletes uh, we've we've been very interested in, read many books about it mm. Um, mm. and I don't know maybe in the future I, I might find myself doing that uh, in some in some sort of fashion so please tell me how you got into it
0: yeah, sure. Well, my background, I, I I wasn't a soccer player. I was a I was a professional golfer. Um I um I I played on the mini tours around Europe for a bit, realised I wasn't going gonna quite compete with Tiger Woods. Um, who could back then um, and so I, I I, then started to coach the game I got all my coaching qualifications and I always had a passion for the, the mental side of sports obviously the mental side of golf I saw sports psychologists try to help me play better and then as I was coaching golf um, I became more passionate about the mental underpinnings the, the the psychosocial underpinnings of both coaching and engagement and performance in sport and so I decided to do a degree in psychology a master's degree in sports psychology alongside my coaching and then I came to a crossroads you know do I have the sports psychology on the side of coaching or do I just go full-on become a, a fully qualified and registered sports psychologist here in the UK I chose the latter um largely because I wanted to cross uh, work across a number of domains and, and all sports not just working golf um that was all oh, now about 16 years ago 17 years ago 2005 2006 um and I suppose it snowballed from there I work across all sports but I always say I specialize in two sports golf because I know it like the back of my hand um and soccer football um and th- that sort of maybe we can talk about that, but that's built over the last sort of 16, 17 years. So that's where I am today. uh, And that's how it all
1: emerged. And so what kind of things are you offering in in today's market? I know you have some books published, you have the Academy. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is a, it's an intimate and can be a bit personal subject. So without getting into obviously names and things like this, but Um, you're working with teams and things like this. Can you dive into that a little bit for us?
0: Yeah. So, so, so look, um, I, you know, on, on, on the the soccer side of things, I mean, I've got four books, three of them, soccer, soccer, tough, soccer, tough, two, and soccer brain. Um, When I, in 2012, when I sat down to write my first book, soccer, tough, I wanted to write a book for soccer players because it really didn't exist. It existed in golf. Um, but uh, you know a basic Amazon search suggested to me there's nothing that say you guys could actually you know pick up order pick up and read um, it was always for coaches I thought this is wrong we, we we need to help players take charge of their mindset give them simple tools and techniques demystify sports psychology for players giving them the best opportunity to learn and develop their mindset and so I wrote that sort of tough and I was very fortunate in as much as people seem to like it Um very proud that gareth bell last year said it was a book that changed his life i don't know if it did he said it you know so who am i <laughs> no to, we take uh, it yeah, reject that i'll take that one um and it's it, it's best selling in, in the states in, in its category in its niche it doesn't sell like harry potter i'm not saying that right but it sold well and and so people seem to have enjoyed that so i've got my books i've got a golf book as well golf tough and then i wanted to further demystify things uh, and so i wanted to, I, what i've done is uh, i have an online academy which is a series of animated videos for players coaches and parents it's very much about integrating psychology into the process of improvement and playing uh, so that players coaches and parents can speak a, a common language around mindset and i'm sure we'll come on to some of these tools and techniques today tools and techniques i call game face and match script and squashing ants and using controllers and stuff so so so, so there's that and we supported 23 college programs last fall um, a bunch of clubs in america and uh, a bunch of high schools as well um, in terms of who I work with, as you kind of alluded to, um, my uh, most of my work is confidential, but I've been blessed to work with a number of top players. Again, I sometimes wish I could mention some of these names because um, – uh, it would it would be nice to, but I'm an ethical sports psychologist, so I can't. But I've I've worked with players who played for Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Spurs, Arsenal, uh, abroad in Germany, France, Spain, in America a lot. Members of the U.S. Women's National Team, the U.S. Men's National Team. So uh, I've been blessed to have that opportunity, and I've worked with a number of clubs in the Premier League as well. Again, some some uh, on confidentiality agreements but the last one I was in the medical department at at FC Bournemouth for a few years before lockdown Uh, so I was blessed with the opportunity to work alongside Eddie Howe and I've worked with Steve McLaren and various other top coaches so and then outside of of, of soccer. I was lead psychologist for England golf for a few years, uh, lead psychologist for England rugby alongside uh, Eddie Jones going into the last World Cup uh, and really worked with Olympians and various other sports and then work in the corporate sector as well. So um, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I, 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 I shamelessly get around a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I think we could uh, shamelessly stick on, on Gareth Bale for a second because he he himself mentioned your book, um, and in a timely fashion, yesterday he scored a worldy free kick yeah. um, after, you know, not really playing for Madrid for a long time now. And then he goes and does this. I think um, the mental side of the game is huge for him because he goes and performs for Wales. But then he goes and sits on the bench in Madrid and doesn't ever play. And you mentioned um, some, some techniques like game face and ants. Um, now, maybe not having worked with him individually. Yeah. But what are some technique techniques for players in this kind of situation where you're not playing you feel you should play you have the ability but um, in team sports unfortunately sometimes the uh, it just doesn't go your way
0: yeah i know and that and that that's it's such an interesting dynamic i mean coming from an individual sport like golf where you know everyone says to me oh golf yeah i can see how that's so psychological there's so much time to to think and 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 that must be such a challenging side of the game and it absolutely is but the interesting thing about soccer and you could include basketball in on this and any other team invasion sport um uh, I think there's a, a couple of interesting dynamics that make these sports psychological. I mean, firstly, um, and I will come around to answering your question here, Sean, but I think it's good to set the scene. Firstly, um, yes, in, in a sport like golf, there's so much time to think. But in, in soccer, um, whilst soccer works in seconds, the brain and the nervous system, the brain works in milliseconds the brain trumps soccer for speed every single time. And so as you play, as you compete, and you guys know this far better than I do, the the brain is working in milliseconds it's constantly judging what's going on around you at all times and so players are throwing up thoughts and feelings emotions even every single second especially at the level of feeling you're you're Mm. feeling things as things unfold and so those thoughts feelings emotions can impact they can impact your anticipation your awareness your decision making your physical functioning very important things in the game, for you to be able to execute your actions and your responsibilities optimally. And so the brain is working milliseconds. And so players, I think, need simple tools and techniques to be able to manage their feelings, emotions, and thoughts in order to for them to optimize their anticipation, their awareness, their decision-making, their physical functioning. Right. The other side of it is as you mentioned before there, Sean, is that look, as a golfer, I could, yes, I have to qualify for tours I have to qualify to play at a certain level there is always something for me to play I pay my entrance fee I go play right even if that's on the mini tours in football it's like if the manager or head coach decides well, I you know I'm playing this way this week and you don't really fit this game model so I'm not playing you or I you know I don't fancy you as about all kinds of things I've heard over the years from you know very prominent coaches as to why they're not picking players you think hey i'm working so hard as a player but i'm not being picked i mean i've worked get this i worked with a league one player in in england a few years ago this league one player very good player um and this is when brighton were in the championship not in the premier league at the time and this league one player was playing really well he became player of the season for that club he was touted to go to brighton a new manager came into the club he was playing at in, in in League One. This manager wanted to miss out the middle of the park. So quite long ball, quite direct play. He was a midfielder, okay, quite skillful. Suddenly, he found himself on the bench. Suddenly, he found himself uh, out of favour. He was player of the season, yet not playing. And it's those kind of things that are head messy, I'll put that politely, head messy, um, that players soccer players footballers have to deal with and so it's tough it's challenging and there's no simple solution there that i can give anybody but you've mentioned techniques and whether it's you're not playing and you're just training and you're waiting or striving to get back in the team or you are actually playing one of my most important techniques um, is what i call a game face now underpin underpinning game face is actually a psychological um, technique called individual zone of optimal functioning. Individual zone of optimal functioning, hence why I call it a game face, because it's a little bit of a mouthful, right? But what a game face is, individual zone, zone of optimal functioning, game face, it's your optimal mental state, your best mental state. It's the personality you wanna have out there on the field, the pitch. It's the attitude you want to portray. It's a physical optimizer. It's a behavioral blueprint. It's an emotional manager. So it does a lot, a game face. I'll give you an example of a game face. And this is a player, a very famous player. And if if you think of the world's top 20 players, this player would probably come in the world's top 20. He, he played in the Champions League a few seasons ago, uh, the Champions League final. And in that going into that final, rather than thinking... got to win got to win got to win got to perform got to perform got to perform want to do everything great want to be man of the match don't want to let my teammates down don't want to let myself down rather than having these kind of thoughts, this kind of narrative. He was thinking, my job on the pitch is to be relentless and dominant. I'm going to be relentless and dominant nonstop. Nothing. And no one takes me away from relentless and dominant. I'm going to get up and down the pitch relentless and dominant. If my cross goes into rose Z, relentless and dominant if I miss a chance to score relentless and dominant. If we go a goal down relentless and dominant. If we go a goal up relentless and dominant, I'm going to be relentless and dominant nonstop. And nothing and no one takes me away from relentless and dominant. Nothing and no one, every action, every responsibility executed in the style of relentless and dominant relentless and dominant is this player's game face i'm going to stick to my game face no matter what i'm going to say it be it do it act it if there's a camera on me i'm going to show that camera relentless and dominant with every action every movement every run every responsibility So that game phase, your optimal mental state, your behavioral blueprint, your attitude, your personality, you create that through principally through your memory. When I sit down with a player and I want to help them create a game phase, we start to talk about their best games. Success leaves clues, right? I always say to players, one of the most important things you can be thinking about every single day is your best games. You at your best, because it's so easy as a player to resonate your worst or think about and reflect upon the poor things, the things that aren't working rather than your best games, your strengths, the areas that are going well. So I get them to open up a catalog of pictures, inner pictures around them at their best. And they might think about, you might do this now and people listening in might do this. They might think about them at their best, their very best game. And then I get them to strip things back to a couple of action-based words. Now, the key here is they must be action-based, okay? So you must be able to be them and do them and act them intentionally, on purpose, deliberately. So when you take to the pitch, the field, you can actually act it, be it, do it, show the camera those action-based words. When you're warming up, you're playing a small-sided game, you're going to play that small-sided game in the style of those words. words. Those words might be alert, alive, lively, sharp, athletic, dominant, upbeat, powerful, cool, calm, relaxed. Every player is going to be a little bit different. I get players who prefer that kind of cool and calm and relaxed, and I get players who prefer that sharp, upbeat, positive, alert, alive, lively. Every player is a little bit different. But they've got to reflect you at your best, or perhaps you in your dream game that's actually actually exercising your imagination rather than your memory your memory is your best game your imagination is your dream game and so you've got a couple of action-based words and that starts a game face and what I would say to everybody listening in is that that game face you could actually expand upon that game face you can have a model player you can have a concept like an animal or something like that. So a very famous English striker that I work with has a game face of confident, relentless lion. A very mm. famous winger I work with in the English Premier League has a game face of brave, lively, relentless Ronaldo. Brave, lively, relentless Ronaldo. So even though this player is a professional at the very highest level, he would still say, I'm modeling myself on Ronaldo. When I go out on the pitch, I want to be brave, lively, relentless Ronaldo. Action-based words, a model player or an animal. And if you want to learn more about that, then I would put people over to my books, especially Soccer Tough and Soccer Tough 2, where I talk more about that. And in my academy, there's actual simple, brought to life videos on that game face. So that's a really important thing. So it's great to hear. I know there's a lot of pros around the, uh, and, and young players. I mean, the great thing about this is a 10 year old, an eight year old can have a game face. Mm. I've heard from coaches and eight year olds saying, yeah, coaches who have eight year olds who have positive messy. And because, you know, young people have heroes and they can imagine they can imagine themselves into an action based word and a model player. And that's the beauty of this. But equally, somebody worth 100 million pounds in transfer fees can still have a game face. And then Gareth Bale can still have a game face. That is the beauty, because that's how our brains
1: work. Hmm. What I love about it is it's so applicable, like you said, on any level you can. Break it down. And it it comes back to being, I guess, honest with yourself, reflective, like you said, and breaking it down, because I think a lot of the times, especially athletes, when we visualize, it's like scoring the winning goal or, you know, hitting this bicycle kick. These things that could happen, um, but are a little less out of your control. So I feel like in your model, it's a lot of breaking it down, controlling the controllables into something that you can kind of break yourself in if you have a few bad passes. You can always come back to that in your head. So as a player who's going through a game and maybe having a little difficult time, how can they flip that switch to recognize, OK, I'm doing this, but now game face. Let me go back to those words. How do you teach that kind of transfer?
0: Well, I'll give you a little bit of a uh... Uh, there's a few things to to say here. And I'll also give you a bit of a teaser technique that again, people can go away and find out uh, more about from books and, 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 and the Academy. But I would say, look, clearly it starts with creating a game face for yourself. And then it's about putting that game face on a pedestal. It's about getting clear in your mind that when I go train, when I go practice, I'm going to train in the style of my game face. I'm going to practice in the style of my game face by actually putting the game face front and center in training and practice. You give yourself a better chance to wire your brain like that, to marinate your body in this notion of game face. Doing it every day, picturing it every day, thinking about it every day. These things are important, again, to be able to wire your brain in that way. And then, as I really kind of alluded to with this Champions League player, one of the best players in the world that I'm blessed to work with, going into his Champions League final, but going into every game that he plays, he puts that game face first. And he matches that game face. He integrates that game face into what he knows he's got to do on the the pitch. And I'm always talking to clients about, look, you've got actions and responsibilities. And in many respects, that's just what performance is. It's a bunch of actions and it's a bunch of responsibilities that you've got to execute, you know, within your individual tactics, within the game model. It's as simple as that, actions and responsibilities. So when you create a narrative, an inner story around my job on the pitch, to execute my actions and responsibilities in the style of my game face my job on the pitch is to execute my actions and responsibilities in the style of my game face such as relentless and dominant confident relentless lion upbeat positive messy whatever it is whatever it is then that narrative wires your brain creates a blueprint on your brain to give you a better chance to go and execute in the style of your game face and then if you drop down to what i would call your low performance mindset at any stage you become inhibited you become distracted you get engulfed in unhelpful emotions unhelpful negative thoughts ants if you like ants is an acronym for automatic negative thoughts a-n-t-s automatic negative thoughts you can squash those ants by getting back to those game face they sorry getting back to the game face now, this one little teaser, so all of that is applicable. In many respects, all of what I've said is a kind of it, – is it a technique? It is, and it's and it's also an underpinning philosophy. It's something that I'm immersing my clients in every single day. Every single day, my clients get a little WhatsApp message from me around what we've just discussed That there because I know brains in sport – are wired towards got to win, got to win, got to win, got to play well, got to play well, got to play well. And as you correctly mentioned there, Dylan, I'm I'm trying to shift players' attention away from those things that we can't control so well. And more onto not the performance outcomes, but the performance process and mindset. Yes, things that we can control much more, but tasks tasks we can focus on now the last thing to say here is this little teaser in terms of a technique which is i talk a lot to players about their body and using their body as a weapon on the pitch on the field and this is where i I use that term of marinating your body in your game phase it's being and doing and acting it and what i've found over the years is the quickest way to shift in emotion in feeling in thought shift attention back onto the game back onto being able to execute your next action to the best of your ability is to use your body to be to do to act your game face so for example with that player that champions league player it's not just well just think relentless and dominant no it's be it and do it and act use your body as a weapon to be to do to act that takes a little bit of thinking and a little bit okay what's that mean to me what's that look like what's that feel like what will others see if i do that and it doesn't guarantee great performances that's not what i'm saying here it just gives you a better opportunity to deal with adversity and it gives you a better opportunity to have the best possible performance that you can have so again, if you want to know more, those books and that academy is a great place to go to be able to really build your knowledge base of the kind of things I'm talking about.
2: Now, and with this, uh, I mean, we're talking more individually at the moment, but can this, can these game faces be taken to a team? Uh, so maybe coming from the coach, we have a, a style or a, a team-based game face where if you're, you know, I'm a center rack, my center rack partner seems to be off a little bit, I can remind him hey whatever relentless dominate and and get him back in the game
0: um absolutely and the way I interpret using game face as a team is is, look a team absolutely can have a team face we can use those action-based words and they can relate to the team as a whole however I also have a, a a a technique which perhaps we won't detail too much today called a match script and I think More pertinently, a team can have a team script uh, where we might say, well, we're going to be 100% vocal at all times, and uh, we're going to nonstop help each other, or what it might be, a little bit more instructional. I think where a game face comes into team play, and this is still very, very important, is having the capacity to share each other's game faces. Having a game face as a team-wide practice. And again, I think this is very powerful. I, I mentioned earlier that uh, in my academy, we supported 23 college programs across the states from Division One to Division Three, and some junior colleges as well. And where those coaches have said, you know, have been really excited about this working is a shared, it's what we call a shared mental model in psychology which is basically basically a posh term for everybody is sharing this game face. So my teammates got a game face. What do we do together? We, we help each other stick to our game faces. What do we do as a team? When we go and play the, the team that's top of the conference, we face them in our game faces. We help each other stick to our game faces, no matter what we go a goal down. We remind each other of our game faces. If I notice a player, over there has a bunch of ants, automatic negative thoughts. If he or she looks like they're having ants, I help them squash their ants by reminding them to stick in their game face. And that's the beauty of having these little techniques is you can start to build a team-wide framework that we can all relate to that we can all help each other on that we can all use in training we do small sided games we do keep balls we do rondos we do 11 v 11s we do passing activities, and we always do it in our game faces and we lead each other in our game faces and we team around game face and we squash ants together that creates a lot of task cohesion task cohesion around the mental side of the game because so much of task cohesion okay we've got social cohesion we all go canoeing together and we're all good mates um, or we go mountain climbing together and we're all good mates which is great which has its place and is important that's social cohesion but we also forget often about task cohesion we, we're cohesive around a goal And, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? Now, so often in football, soccer, and in other team sports, we do that around the game model. We do that around the game model, our individual tactics within the game model. But we don't do that, or we rarely do that, around the mental side of the game. It's kind of like, oh, the individuals can take care of themselves. Well, actually, more powerful is we help each other be in our game faces. We help each other squash our ants. That's a very powerful place to be as a team. So that's what I would say that absolutely. It's a case of helping each other be in, each other, be in game faces.
2: I love that terminology, the squashing ants. Um, I mean, you've mentioned it a few times now, but, but what are ants and, and how can you realize them as um, a player in a team sport and also in your, te- in your teammates or helping them squash their own ants?
0: Yeah, so good questions. Uh, ANTS, automatic negative thoughts. And it can be uh, as, as obvious as, oh, I'm playing rubbish today. I'm playing terrible today. It, it can be as obvious as that. Um, or it could, I suppose, work at a at a more subtle level, that kind of thought of, oh, if I play poorly over the next five minutes, what I know is the gaffer, the head coach is going to bring me off here um it could be about teammates it could be about the opposition it could be about the state of the pitch it could be about something in the past there could be so many different types of ants automatic negative thoughts and when i talk to people about ants automatic negative thoughts yes thoughts but ants come loaded with feelings and emotions as well and it's often at that feeling level the level of feeling that kind of rises up in us and impacts our game so much because players will often say to me, yeah, Dan, I'm not, it's not so much thoughts, but it's a, it's a kind of a feeling, a feeling of lethargy or flatness or feeling down or frustrated. Or, but I would still, for, for simplicity and for ease, I would bring these under the banner of ants, automatic negative thoughts. And what's important to say here is that it doesn't matter who you are in life there's 8 billion people on this planet and 8 billion people will experience ants every day of their life. It's the way we've evolved as human beings, we tend to direct our attention towards threats and problems, especially in situations, competitive situations, situations around pressure, right? Um, because those are situations flooded with threats and with problems. And so it, it, it's, it's not so bad to have an ant, but it's when ants impact our game, that can be a problem. And it's not so much that I say to people that to squash ants, we've got to wrestle with ants. We've got to get really involved with those ants and we've got to argue against those ants. That's not what I'm saying because that takes up your energy and it also directs your attention onto the ants. What I say to people is look that squashing is very simple. It's just squash the ant by shifting back to your game face in that moment. So it's spotting the ant, it's stopping it quickly, and it's getting back to your game, getting back to the next action in your game face, or getting back to another technique I call match script. Which you know, again, if people want to learn about that, go to my books, go to my online academy. Um, that's the squashing process i think game face is an ideal thing again if i go back to this champions league player what's he saying to himself going into a game and he plays for one of the biggest and best clubs in the world is that i'm gonna have ants because i'm up against some pretty good players right i'm going to have ants i'm a human being but i'm gonna squash those ants quickly by getting back to my game face relentless and dominant he's not wrestling with those ants he's not getting involved with them just he's shifting his attention back to his game face back to executing actions and responsibilities in his game face Mm -hmm. in terms of if we're using this from a team perspective and i want to help my mate squash ants i i think in in soccer and i think in all sports we can tend to get socialized into well especially at at the elite level at the professional level if my mate isn't playing well, that's not good enough. He or she needs to know it, so I'm going to dig them out. That tends to be quite a cultural thing in England, Britain. I'm going to dig them out. I'm going to tell them they're not playing well. I'm going to tell them they're playing rubbish in probably more graphical terms than that, right? But one has to ask themselves, is that actually helpful? Is that helpful for them? And is that helpful for them being your teammate and your team as a whole? what better than to notice that if they look a little bit slower, if their body language is a bit poor, if they're berating themselves, if they look frustrated or angry or down or despondent. And I'm not saying it's always easy to see that. I'm not not saying it's always easy to see that a mate's got ants. But if you do see that, then remind them, hey, game face, game face, squash that ant, squash that ant. And that requires a little bit of pre-game work to to be able to get permission to be able to do that because mm. i think in the moment some players will go you know f off basically yeah. <laughs> but if it's a part of the fabric of your team then that becomes you kind of have this the psychological safety we'd use that term in psychology the psychological safety to be able to do that and that's being a great teammate that's being a great teammate it's giving it's being given permission to be a great teammate And I know that's not available for everybody, but I think that that's a useful thing. And what I would say on top of that is that, yes, it's not always easy to identify people who are engulfed in ants, but actually you turn down the volume of ants or you squash the ants before they've even arisen by engaging in game face prior to the game to make sure everybody's in it in up. You know, so you're almost squashing people's ants Prior to the game starting by being all in on mindset, all in on game face, all in on squashing ants, all in on high performance mindset that's so so vital. yeah so that's what I would say to that
1: 100 percent to even bring it onto a personal level so Sean and I played together on the same team a few years back and I guess we have a little bit of you know an advantage since we know each other quite well, but even bringing it back to that I you know, I guess to really be able to implement these things is to know your teammates, to be empathetic to the ways that they succeed. So Sean knew if I was not having my best game or just can kind of see it mentally, what would you say to me, Sean? It was like one or two words.
2: Yeah. I mean, it depends on the situation, but I knew I could be very direct to him. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to overcomplicate or go beat on the bush. And I could just say, you know, hold your space a little bit or switch on. You're like, you're looking sluggish or something like this. And he just take it on board and implement it. I know he could do the same thing for me. But like Dylan said, that's Every because years. we've had a relationship for 10 years. And I know mm-hmm. I can say that to him. Now, ideally, you have a team full of players that you can do this to each other. I mean, that sounds like that that's, that's the perfect team. Um, but that takes a lot of time and work to get to that point.
0: It takes conversation and, and this is, you know, we're, we're diving a bit deeper here and we're kind of diving into the cultural aspects of of soccer and sport and, you know, soccer players, sports people. And I, and I feel obliged. I feel at ease like saying this because I've been a professional sports person and. We like to do, don't we? And we don't necessarily like to talk. We don't necessarily like to sit in a room and discuss tactics and discuss the game and discuss each other's viewpoint of the game. But actually, this is a strategical, a potential strategical advantage for coaches who equip their team with the capacity to do this. Um, and I'm not saying it's simple or easy to do, but this tends to be lacking and missing um, in team sports, this, these conversations, these conversations uh, between players, and, and it's really interesting what you what you're saying. I mean, over a decade ago, I spent a bit of time working at West Ham, and when I say working at West Ham, it wasn't so much I was employed by the club. It just one of my first big major um, sort of case studies was a player called Carlton Cole who had been a phenomenal player in the Chelsea Academy, Claudio Ranieri, who was the manager at Chelsea before Jose Mourinho's first spell at Chelsea had said of an 18, a 17, 18 year old Carlton. Carlton is my lion. He is going to be one of the best strikers in Europe, perhaps the world. He was tucking away 40, 50 goals for the Chelsea Academy at the time. And then it, it kind of went wrong from there. He didn't quite break into the Chelsea team. Tough to do. you know. Didier Drogba there at the time. And he found himself at the age of 24, languishing in the West Ham reserve team. And that's where I got called in to work with him and, and we had a successful relationship and it was very kind of him to allow me to write about my work with him in my first book, Soccer Tough, and to talk a little bit about the work that we'd done together. And, um and, and 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 the success of that led to other players at West Ham saying okay let's do a bit of work with you and I won't name one of the other players related to this story but Carlton would get a lift into the training ground with this other player who happened to be a defender it's one of Carlton's good mates and you know at the club they would have banter have a laugh have a joke but because they spent a bit of time together in the car on the way to the training ground, a lot of conversation turned to the game and how Carlton saw the game as a striker. Carlton had broken into the first team by this stage and even made his debut for England under Fabio Capello within 18 months of us working together. And he did a lot of things great. And he's a very, he was a very very good player, very underestimated player. And so my work with him was only a small part of the process. But Carton would talk with this defender a lot in the car on the way to the training ground and on the way back. And they would talk about what they would see, what they would be thinking, the kind of things I'm sure you guys have, have talked a lot about. And so it was almost as if they had that classic sixth sense that commentators talk about between teammates or within teams but actually it wasn't a sixth sense it was just an understanding of because through conversation of you know the defender said I know when Carlton plays we're on the same side together I know which way he's where he's looking which way he's thinking of going what what his next thought is because they've talked a lot about it and can't would say that about the defender. I know that defender is looking up and thinking about playing this through ball or over to the wing there. So I know I can go this way. There was an understanding just through conversation Mm. in my experience. And I have quite a bit of experience here, working with some of the best players and teams and really having conversation with them about what they do and what they don't do. There's not enough conversation between players about you know, both the the, the the tactical side of the game, you know, there's good training on the training ground, but we don't just wire our brain there. That doesn't push things into long-term memory. And so the more we think about these things and talk about these things without going over the top, without overthinking and over-talking and making things too complicated, there's a sweet spot to be had. But the more we talk about this stuff, the more we can create this team task cohesion alongside that social cohesion that we're looking for we can have these shared mental models and so we play like a team like a team with a sixth sense if you like that conversation is important so it doesn't surprise me sean and dylan that you because you've known each other for a long time you 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 you, you're both Herald for New York. You're both in Germany playing on the same side. You've probably had a lot of conversation. That conversation has led to you knowing about each other. Well, I think coaches have to ask themselves, how do I do this for my players? And if you're a player listening in, off your own back, go and have more conversations with your teammates, not just a laugh, not just a banter. That's important, right? But, you know, more serious conversation about how you see the game. And be curious about how your mate sees the game. That's so
1: important. One hundred percent. I think that's a good segue. where We can kind of talk a little bit more about coaching. I mean, the things you mentioned are really some of the pillars for the most successful teams, like you've mentioned. And for some, for instance, a Man City, a Liverpool, you can see this cohesion. A Bayern Munich, you can see this cohesion, where there are similar motivators. And I think that motivation is a, is a huge thing for for coaches and for players. And one thing that I saw you write about um, quite recently, I think it was on your LinkedIn was um, this idea of playing on the front foot. And you, you kind of gave an example of Antonio Conte, mm. where he is explaining, I think it was an upcoming match against Man City where he concedes that yes, we're, they're going to have 70%, 75% of the possession. But how do you mentally adapt to that and still play on the front foot? So can you speak a little bit about that playing on the front foot, which I believe is a Um, Reward and approach motivation, as well Mm. to the relationship with playing on the back foot, which is a more uh, punishment and avoidance motivation.
0: Yeah, good knowledge. Good (laughs) knowledge. Uh, It it
1: really (laughs) interested me so much.
0: (laughs) I just think this is—I wrote about this actually a couple of days ago as well, with relation to Jesse Marsh, uh, which got quite a lot of traction. Again, I I write for everybody listening, and I write every day on LinkedIn and put that on Facebook, so you can access. My work—I mean, ninety percent of my work—I would say—I give away for free and things like this, and 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 on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter. Um, so, and this—and and to be clear, this applies to Game Face because Game Face is very much about engaging in approach behavior rather than inhibited behavior, avoidant behavior. So, very simple terms, the brain works in one of two directions: away from or towards approach or avoidant. Uh, 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 approach or inhibition. And so, and let's think about, let's use those two terms, approach and inhibition. So one of the leading psychologists of the 20th century was somebody called Jeffrey Gray, not a not a famous man, and 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 even within psychology circles. You mentioned the name Jeffrey Gray and even with psychologists, you by and large, by and large, get a blank look. But he, over the course of a 50-year career, um, developed theories around the biological basis. I'm going to put my psychologist cap on a bit here, so please excuse me, but I'll, I'll break it down. The biological basis of personality. The biological basis of personality. And he hypothesized theorized two um functions of our brain essentially um uh, which relates to how we behave as in this away from and towards this approach and this inhibition this fight or flight if you like or fight freeze and flight which we all have again eight billion people on this planet nobody differs here we all have this these two brain systems. And the, the complex term that he had was it's a behavioral approach system, a BAS, behavioral approach system, and a BIS, behavioral inhibition system. Behavioral inhibition system, BAS and BIS, BAS and BIS. Behavioral approach, behavioral inhibition. Approach avoided, away towards. So what we want as footballers, and if we're coaches, what we want for our players is to be in bass behavioural approach rather than inhibited behavioural approach. And it was interesting what Conte said because he said something really interesting. And, I, and this is where I used his quote. He said, when they played when Spurs beat Manchester City last month, you know, he said, we're not going to have much of the ball. And I want my players to know that. But even though we're defending, I want them to feel like they're still attacking. I'm butchering his phrase, his quote a bit, but that was, I'm paraphrasing here. Mm -hmm. Even though we're defending, I want them to attack it. And it's a really interesting scenario here, guys, because this is where even the very best coaches conflate, as in confuse or mix up tactics and mindset tactics and mindset because they talk about they talk you know you think about your team shape or your team tactics we talk about defense being defensive but then they relate that to mentality and it's like but you can you can have a team that is defensively set up but still play front foot approach bass approach football i can still defend but play on the front foot I can still defend and play with freedom rather than fear. Approach on the front foot rather than the back foot. Approach striving to win rather than, you know, defensive, inhibited, striving not to lose. And there's a subtle difference there. So conversations I tend to have with coaches is, look, What's your language here? What's your communication? If you're going to set up defensively, that's fine. But make sure you're helping your players experience approach behavior going into that game. Make sure you're tuning your language towards approach behavior. And the simplest way I do that for coaches who really buy into my work is you can be set up as a a defense or even as as a unit. You can be set up defensively, but be in your game face. So that player who's relentless and dominant, he might be part of a team that sets up defensively, which is rare for the team he plays for, but let's just say that might happen. But he still plays relentless and dominant. So he's in a defensive, tactically defensive-oriented team, but he plays approach behavior. He plays relentless and dominant. He plays in his game face if he starts to feel inhibited because he's made a few mistakes so that brain system switches on i've made a few mistakes i start to feel threatened it's a threat response he feels inhibited in that moment it impacts his awareness anticipation decision making physical functioning and this happens subtly in the moment that impacts positioning, um, actions such as the capacity to challenge, your timing, all these many things that lead to overall performance. If you start to feel inhibited, he's got to get onto, into approach behavior by getting back into his game face so it still applies to game face Ants automatic negative thoughts can send us down into that threat response i'm experiencing that threat response and so i play inhibited bis behavioral inhibition system and that last thing to say here is i wrote about jesse marsh march march a few days ago and I just said, look, I really love what he's doing here. It, it doesn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. and We never know what's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if he successfully takes over from Bielsa because they're quite similar in as much as they're, 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 they ask of their players a lot of aggression. Not aggression as in foul and get sent off, but a, aggression as in approach behaviour aggression is in runs and movement and pressing Jurgen Klopp, gegen pressing Bielsa, March that real aggressive pressing attack front foot the key is to do that the whole game even when you're not pressing and that to me is I think is really interesting because that lends itself to that approach behavior You strangle the inhibition. You lend yourself towards approach behavior. You can do that tactically, but if you can envelope that in mindset as well, that's a very
1: strong position to be in. 100%. I think a lot of it scales. Again, like you said, it comes a lot to the preparation, whether that be in training, whether that be through meetings with players. Now to keep it on the topic of coaching, um, how important is this aspect of providing feedback to players as a coach is to improve as a coach too, asking for direct feedback from players as well. So kind of vice versa. And then also, if you could just touch, I know you've spoken a little bit um, about uncoachable players, that as well is a topic that I, I, we have a lot of listeners who are coaches um, in America and in Germany as well. And I think that's one that we all struggle with is someone who won't buy into, you know, the ideas that we set as well as other players might. Okay.
0: So let's cover feedback first. And there's lots of different ways to answer this. Um, And the way I I will answer this on this occasion is to refer to feedback as directive and non-directive. Directive Directive and non-directive. Directive being explicit instruction, much more coach-led, coach-driven, top-down. And I think that that's important. Um, I think players enjoy being instructed, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part. They enjoy a coach's expertise. They enjoy a greater sense of certainty. I think that that is important. They enjoy clarity. And so I think directive instruction is important. And I think that where you can enveloping any directive instruction with what a player is doing well as well is important. I think cushioning instruction around where you feel a player needs to improve with what they're doing well is a skill. And I think it's an important communication skill. I also think it's incumbent on coaches to engage in non-directive approaches to feedback, asking questions in order to understand the lens of the player in front of them. Because so often we instruct without knowing the prior, about having a clear understanding of the prior knowledge of the player what is the player looking at what has the player been instructed before what's the history of this player players come with histories with a series of instructions that has been delivered to them previously by previous coaches teams they've played in that have played that have played in different ways different styles So the capacity to ask the kind of questions that uncover the kind of clues that help coaches understand where the player has come from, what the player has experienced before, how the player experiences the game is vital. Not only maybe to be able to help the player, him or herself, engage in self-instruction, to come up with their own ideas, their own solutions, but also in order to massage direct instruction as well, because I can direct instruct again, which is important, but that might just bounce off a player. If that player sees the game completely differently, because that player, his or her brain is wired in a certain way. And if I say a, and that player has been thinking B for a long time, a isn't even on their radar so understanding that player is thinking b b b b b and even some c and i want a i've got to get to know b and c if that makes sense and be able to go okay i understand and appreciate your thinking b and a little bit of c here that's how you see the game how can we work together to start to build in a what do you understand about a OK, what advantages do you think A brings to your game over and above B and C? What advantages do you think A brings to your game with relation to our game model here? So in many respects, asking questions of players like this, and this is getting into slightly more complex areas in coaching. Asking questions like this. Uh, just improves the relationship between player and coach improves the and we're kind of almost getting on to part two here the coachability of that player it affords the opportunity and this is what i wanted to say it affords the opportunity for the coach to empathize with the player's view of the world the player's view of the game based on their history based on their previous instruction to inquire to be curious to listen to empathize and then to maybe slowly chip away at that belief which might be important and so that moves us on to the second part which is as coaches it's very very important to critically think about critically think around who we perceive to be uncoachable or close to uncoachable is that player uncoachable and there's a couple of things to say, and I've I've kind of already spoken to this in as much as when we're non-directive and we're curious about the person in front of us, and there's absolutely no doubt that there's some players, players are people, and there's people who lie more at the ends of personality spectrums, say, who are low agreeable for one, where we've got to be just a little bit more subtle in our approach and inquire about what they how they see the game why they see it as they see it and empathize around that in order to chip away at their coachability if anything i always say to coaches great that player doesn't want to take your coaching instructions on board okay And subsequently, that's a problem because they're not playing in line with your game model. Okay. Let's begin this, but this is a really good player and we don't want to lose them. So let's begin this by helping that player, being a part of this, being a part of helping that player coach themselves. We've got to be non-directive there. We've got to ask questions and we've got to give them permission to coach themselves. When we do that, when we empathize, that player will probably turn down the volume of their ants around us, automatic negative thoughts, because they start to perceive me as a coach being on their side. We have a saying in psychology, I insist you resist. So as a coach, if I go in and I think, okay, this is a challenge with this player because this player really sees things differently and is quite hard-headed. I've got to help this player really turn down the volume of this okay but I've, i've i've where i've got to start here is being on their side i'm on your side i understand why you see the game as you do so let's start there and let's give up myself the best opportunity to find pockets of moments where i can make suggestions where i can break down this player's belief system around the game and start to see our way of seeing things in, in accordance with our game model, in accordance with how we use the principles of play. A final thing to say there, because I'm talking more about uncoachable, in inverted commas, uncoachable players around instruction. If we have players who are a bit more destructive from, you know, in and around team mates. Then that becomes a more complex case, and I'm, I'm mindful of our time today and our capacity to, you know, uh, talk at, at, at depth about this. But again, I would st- say that your first port of call is still empathy. You know, I've noticed that you've been having some arguments with your teammates. Pause, pause, pause. Give that player the opportunity to explain what's happening. So, for example, and I'll give a very simple, stripped back. I've noticed that you've been having some arguments with your teammates, that you seem a little bit distant with some of them now. Oh, yeah, man. My, my, just, oh, just some of them are a nightmare. That I'm really not getting, getting along with them at all. You're not getting along with your teammates. Empathy is a listening statement. Listen. Listen. Don't just dive in. Listen. You're not getting along with, no, 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 just, just, it's just, it's really challenging at the moment. I'm finding them really, really difficult. And then just trying to find the opportunity to ask, to pose a question. Are there any players that you find really easy to get on with? Who do you get along with? Are there times when those players that you're finding difficult lately, are there times when you've gotten along with them? So we can only briefly explore this today. And these are big, big skills in themselves. And I'm using a framework called motivational interviewing, which I'd thoroughly recommend to coaches. It's being a more skillful negotiator using communication strategies to your advantage that's my opinion that's my belief and that's what I try to help coaches
2: do Yeah, yeah it's, it's fascinating to hear this from you because um, leadership is one thing that I, I really enjoy learning and reading about and a big thing with leadership is um, very open communication but letting your on the on the chain of command your subordinates kind of come to the conclusion themselves, you know? And by you posing these, like you're saying, posing questions that make them think and then almost give them the opportunity to find the solution themselves, even though it's not really themselves, but you let them think that, okay, maybe this is a better way to play for the team and I can actually use my skills better by doing, by doing A, B, or C, but in a way that, the co- in, this, in, this, uh, in this case, as a coach wants the player to go in this direction. But if you just say it directly to this person, they're just going to immediately maybe their ego flares up and it's just ears are closed, you're not listening, and they're gonna do their own thing.
0: I insist you resist. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: And 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 we've seen some great clips on Netflix of, you know, with some of these all-or-nothing documentaries and, of conflict. And I'm not saying I'm not sitting here and saying every single player on planet Earth you can accommodate into your coaching culture, your team. I'm not saying that. There may always be outliers that you can't fit, you can't accommodate, and one must remember that these players can take up energy. However, whilst they're there, I would say developing the communication skills that affords you the opportunity to understand these players more that helps them experience a sense of empathy rather than pushback. That gives you a better opportunity to bring those outliers, for want of a better term, more towards center ground, more towards you. Um, That takes some effort. I think we're going to throw a couple of complicated terms in here. I think coaching is ethnographical and anthropological it's about being a people explorer it's about being like sir david attenborough is in you know in nature but this time within your team just be interested and curious about your people and understand that every single what we know in personality science is every single behavior that you see has has exists and has evolved in us to help us get along and get ahead if you've got a squad of 25 players every single behavior you see relates to somebody trying to get along and get ahead so that very low agreeable player is using a strategy it might be a maladaptive or what you perceive to be an unhelpful or maladaptive strategy in your coaching culture your coaching environment your coaching practice but it's something that they found useful historically to help them get along and get ahead so if you can help them manage that and you can accommodate some of it, then that can be a very profit, profitable situation rather than just, no, that's not good enough. You can't be like that. That still exists too much in my opinion. And again, I want to emphasize, it's not to suggest that every coach can accommodate everybody, but it is to suggest that I think we can all get better at communication around negotiation around onboarding players, around engaging players to help them learn and grow and to help them compete within your coaching culture.
1: I love that. People explore might be one of my new favorite phrases too. That's amazing. I made that one up. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the last things I kind of wanted to touch on, which for me kind of seems like one of the roots for a lot of the issues that athletes, coaches alike face is this dependency on winning as a measure of success and happiness. Can you touch on that a little bit for us? Yeah. Winning exists and at the level you guys are playing at
0: at the professional level, at the developing elite level, winning exists. And the, these organizations, your organizations, organization there that you're, you're playing for, these organizations exist to win. Yes, they exist for the community, but they exist to win. Let's not get away from that. Let's not get away from that. So that's always going to be there. However, I'm very much of a mind of helping people, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, whether it's staff, whether it's those behind the scenes in organizations doing important jobs, to have a more sophisticated relationship with performance and competitiveness and outcome, winning, losing. In sports, we've socialized ourselves into extreme language around competition. We must win. We must perform. It will be the end of the world if. It will be a disaster. Well, there's probably enough things going on in the world right now that relate more closely to that kind of extreme language. Not sport. Disappointed that we lost. I'd like to win. I'd like to win a lot. I'd like to win so much that I'm going to dedicate a big portion of my life to being the very best that I can possibly be. This isn't just mental gymnastics. This isn't just linguistic gymnastics. This is really important because a sophisticated relationship with performance and competitive and outcome It's about turning down the volume of unhelpful emotion and turning and shifting attention onto the things that matter that give us our best chance to win. Again, we're going to talk about tasks, the task, being task-oriented, being mastery-oriented. Yes, in servitude to winning, but mastery-oriented in terms of being in servitude to learning. developing our game task oriented in servitude to performance and subsequently to winning but when we help everybody's noses point in the direction of task and mastery when we help players value that identify with that enjoy that be engaged and interested in that then we have more of a sense of control, greater specificity with feedback and conversations, where people's attention are, which gives us a better chance to excel. And all of that in turn, and probably so much more, works towards giving ourselves our best possible chance to have our best possible performances as individuals and as teammates and subsequently winning. But we need this sophisticated relationship. We need to be better at being task oriented, mastery oriented. Yes. Recognizing that this works in servitude towards excellence of performance and winning of course of course and of course we probably frame discussions around those two things of course but for me to be the best coaches that we want to be and to help our players be the best that they can be and for players to help themselves to be the best that they can be we need to orient ourselves our language our attention. Our day-to-day activities around task and mastery. We need to be passionate about these things. And the final thing to say is to retain, to strive to retain a sense of, you know, you use the word happiness, but joy and meaning. I think I think the task and the mastery supplies the meaning. And I think that. Again, incumbent within a coaching role, within a coaching practice, is to strive to help players retain a sense of joy and love um, in and around the game. Because I work with too many, let's say, Premier League players. Some Premier League clubs are quite miserable places. And that's quite sad. And don't get me wrong, I recognize that you're talking about people who drive in with their very expensive cars. And, but, you know, wealth doesn't necessarily inoculate you against stress. It can do, but it doesn't always. And I, I think some of, the most unhappy, some of the most unhappy places I've been has been the golf tours, the mini tours, has been the tennis mini tours, has been football clubs just quite actually because they're quite stressful environments and I know all workplaces can be stressful environments. I get that. But I think even just the surprising thing, I think for coaches last thing to say here is, is that my work, I've worked with some pretty good players, even around just helping them play more consistent consistently by helping them bring back the joy of movement, the joy of playing playing like they're playing with their mates as opposed to gotta win gotta win gotta win gotta win gotta gotta perform gotta perform gotta perform gotta perform just shifting their attention onto something that's more joyful actually can help them perform better and subsequently win and i suppose that is the mental gymnastics that coaches need to be better at in my humble opinion with respect to them for those who are coaching at the competitive level. So that's what I'd say to all of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of these things, a lot of the things that we said, come back to the quote that you said in the beginning, they're just ways to chip at the best versions of ourselves. And I love that. So uh, before we wrap up right here, um, we like to keep a nice list of, uh, of books that our guests recommend. So we're going to plug yours again after these because we know um, how valuable they can be. But in terms of your own reading on a personal level, is there any book that really not maybe changed your life, but really had an impact on you?
0: Yeah, I, I, I would, I would uh, for, 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 for players and coaches that want a slightly deeper dive, I would say Lisa Feldman Barrett, um, who is one of the world's leading neuroscientists, one of the world's leading scientists. She's written two good Books that are, are, you know, would come under the pop psychology, not pop psychology, sorry, that, that, that's the wrong thing to say. Please excuse me, Lisa. Um, just just simplified versions of the work that she does in the academic field. Um, How Emotions Are Made was her first book. And I think that in a very simple way can give players and coaches some insights in around emotion and feeling and the power of those because I think we can be so guilty to look at the look at players and think about play from a behavioral perspective and ignore the internal that's driving the external. And then she's written a really good book. She came on my podcast, the sports site show to talk about this book back at uh, back end of 2020 and um, it's seven and a half lessons about the brain, which she describes as a beach read about the brain. So nice and simple. It's absolutely fascinating, and it's just there's always debate about how the brain works. There's always debate within any science, of course, but the stuff that she spoke, speaks, she writes about is just absolutely extraordinary. You know how the brain is 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 basically a prediction machine, and again, there's always debate around these things. But it's 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 a controlled hallucination. Like it is just it is this thing in a box that is predicting what's coming up next and it and it makes mistakes and it's just brilliant And and it's well worth a read there's some really good practical stuff and the thing that to take out of that possibly the most is she talks about how the language centers of the brain join up with the the body in a way that allows the allows language to manage your body to manage the feelings that are emerging from your body. So those would be two really good books that I recommend. There's lots out there, of course there is, but those would be two that I don't think everybody just instantly grabs and
1: goes, right, I'm in sports. I've got to have those. So those two. Sounds fascinating, honestly, I have them written down already. So for our followers, our listeners, um, I mean, even just from an hour and 15 minute podcast, there's so many amazing things to take away. But obviously, like you've hinted, Um, there's so many places for you where you can take a deeper dive with Dan. So Dan, if you want to give all the listeners, all the followers, all the places where they can find you, whether it's club players, coaches to, you know, help chip away at the better versions of ourselves.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, DanAbrahams.com, DanAbrahams.com, nice and simple, is my website. And on that website, you can get links to my books, which are obviously available on Amazon. That's Soccer Tough, Soccer Tough 2, Soccer Brain, and Golf Tough, if you're into golf. Um, you can also find my academy um, on there, On DanAbrahams.com. Um, I am on social media uh, quite extensively every day. Um, that's the main brunt of my work giving this stuff away um so on linkedin just dan abrahams um and i do an article on there every day which i also post on facebook which is uh, at dan my page is at dan abrahams soccer i'm on instagram uh, at dan abrahams sport at dan abrahams sport and i am on um twitter i've got three twitter accounts at dan abrahams 77 which would be my main one uh, I've got around forty thousand, just under forty thousand followers there, where I'm tweeting out every day. Um, I'm also at Abraham's Golf and at sport Psych Show, um, which leads me on to the last thing here, which is I have a podcast called The Sports Psych Show. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I'm. Uh, it's great, not because I'm a great host, but because I have great guests, and it's really about. That
1: too, though. Sorry. That too, as well.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I've just got great, I've just got great guests and, and it's just about, you know, breaking down sports psychology in as simple a fashion as possible. So if you just Google the sports psych show um, or go on at sports psych show on Twitter, you can find more information there. And I think that's just about everything.
1: Love that. I actually listened to one on, on clutch performances a few days ago, which I Mm -hmm. loved and I recommend to everyone out there. So, Again, all the ways you can find Dan. And we want to thank you so much for coming on, joining the club, telling everyone about your story. And, you know, there's so many things to take away. So thanks again. And we look forward to the future. Thanks, guys. Pleasure and honor to be here. Really appreciate your
2: Tom. Thank you, Dan. What another amazing guest, but also a first of its kind. And uh, to be honest, sports psychology has always been a thing probably since I mean, my older brother put me onto it when I was maybe 15.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Kind of like, oh, this is an extra edge, you can get over players by reading and learning about this. Um, but honestly, after talking to him, I will definitely read his three books, not the golf one, to be honest. Uh, I
1: will. Yeah, I'll take the golf sure one into you, you, my you post career.
2: Um, but I would love to talk to other sports psychologists or, or people in that field, because I think it's such a, it's a realm that I mean, athletes, yes, but even people in general that they don't touch on certain things, like ants, for example, everyone has them. Yeah. And we all know people that let these thoughts like take over. Mm-hmm. And like he said, it's not necessarily thinking about it and finding a solution for it. It's rather thinking about something else mm-hmm. and and kind of redirecting, putting, right? redirecting your attention to something Um which then in turn squashes the ants, but it's not this direct approach. Yeah. It's not um, giving too
1: much energy to the actual right. ants. It's, you know,
2: exactly. And and around. just like, I mean, it's just also the books that I've read or have never been football based sports psychology. It's, mm-hmm. it's general sport. And they always give different um, you know uh, things from different other sports and different examples. But um, just talking to him, that was a, an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, it really has just sparked so much my interest even yeah. more into diving deeper into it and even getting other people on to talk about it. There's just so many levels to it,
1: right? And, you know, we touch on a lot of things throughout um, these 85, 86 episodes, um, you know, where we incorporate some of the things that we've learned along the journey. And some of these things are psych-related. They are these little tips that you can do. They are ways to approach the game mentally and approach your preparation mentally and approach, you know, empathy. We've talked a lot about, and that's a huge thing that always comes back. It's a very, very, you know, you've seen, he, he kind of mentioned it in coaching and in playing and in all aspects of the game. One of the things that I've done in some regard is I've had my own kind of game face. Before I had heard about this from from him, but it was it was a lot more general and I and I think this is the way that you know you can really build off your knowledge with episodes like this having experts in the field come on to really break down these things and show the not necessarily the exact way to do it because everyone's differently really, but breaking it down to its simplest form so a lot of the times when I was having difficulty in games, I tried to look up for a second, kind of look up for a second and regain my my composure, I guess you would say, breathe a few times, but now hearing a lot of these self-talk ways to break it down into the controlling aspect of it. So the one player he mentioned was relentless and dominant. And I know in my game face, relentless will probably be there. Maybe it's a different word, but that is something when you break down my game too, Sean, and I think this would be a good exercise for us to do together as well as other players to do other teammates to do. If you guys want to, you know, talk to us about creating a game face, of course, with Dan too, you know, to pay for his services. But something we can do, Sean, is what do you see in my game? And then let's yeah. break that down. I think relentless is one that I could build off of to make my game face. We don't have to do yeah. this live on air, but it would be a good practicing segment, I think, for all players, all coaches, all teams to do and incorporate it on an individual and in a teammate basis.
2: Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I was. Obviously, when he first mentioned that, I was thinking for myself. You know, as he's talking, like oh, "What would I?" What Sometimes would I, I forgot myself, we were in a know? podcast. To be yeah, honest, right? with you. I love <laughs>
1: those episodes. Though it's, it's like...
2: like like I was watching a Netflix documentary. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think I think it is a really good exercise for everyone to do, and I'm still thinking about it. And to be honest, relentless and dominate is in the forefront of my head uh, because that's what he was mentioning. And I mm-hmm. thinking of others, but those two kind of stick there, and how I think of you know in the game that and in your way they're relentless i'm always going to be there and i'm of not going to mm-hmm. i'm not going to go away and for mm-hmm. 90 minutes it's going to be that's a problem pest. for you. and then in dominate like that's what i like to do is that the forward just or any the opposing player is not going to enjoy playing against me because they're just going to lose every battle absolutely and i think those
1: two yeah, words think, are a little impressionable on us right now maybe, right exactly that's what i'm saying and, and i just heard him say that and
2: everything he said was gold but I think I, I get what he's talking about and i understand um the idea behind it and two mm-hmm. i also find it fascinating that like throughout the conversation it was just and once we're going to hear this from other places and different books and different people and enki johnson but it's like focus on the process the yeah end a lot of result the things, yeah. is not going to give you happiness i mm-hmm. want to get to a million dollars you're not going to mm-hmm. be happy when you get a million in your bank account because the process is what you need to enjoy it's the the end goal the expectation which we spoke about a few episodes now is not what makes you happy it's getting to that point whether that's in the mental side of it or the physical side or as a team or as an individual you're coming to the same conclusions and then with that the leadership thing
1: Mm, you read all these books
2: with leadership read about Mm -hmm. jocko and how he comes to his conclusions and how Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson come to their conclusions. And now you have Dan Dan come to these conclusions from a different background, but they're all in the same thing. Empathy with people, communicating, allowing them to create their own ideas, not spoon feeding in that. And in this, you give them more power, which in the end actually gives you more control over the team. Mm-hmm. But it's in a different way than people would think a leader, you know, standing at the top of the podium, telling people what to do. That's not, that's not what a leader is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a lot of these things are breaking it down to, to their simplest forms, and I think that's something that Dan did really, really well and does really, really well on a continuous basis is that he's breaking down a lot of abstract and a lot of complicated terms, which, you know, when he puts a psychology hat on, and it's fascinating, but bringing it back into a way that, you know, we can implement it as players, where we can understand it as players and as coaches. And I really recommend for all of you guys to go out and... um you know, Just take a deep dive into his work. Follow him on Twitter. He posts so many free things for, for players, coaches, fans alike. So a lot of his information is out there for free. I would I would suggest to support him as well, like we were going to um, in, in getting and diving into his books. Um, he also has the free ebook that I touched on and looked into a little bit. I think all you have to do is subscribe on his website with your email and you get a ton of free information. So I mean, look out for Dan. Um, we'll be following along, obviously taking a lot of his things, reposting a lot of his things. We're so thankful to him again. So thankful to you guys for supporting, um, been a really good start to 2022 footwork. 2022 is what Sean and I write to each other. A lot of the times is, um, yeah, just having our best version of the podcast and of ourselves yet as we chip away. And so, we thank you guys. Keep plugging. Keep passing. Keep supporting. Let us know if you have anyone who you think would be a good guest. If you want to plug your businesses. If you want to plug your ideas. Um, yeah, we we're the community. We want to build you know this all together. So, anything else to add, Shawnee?
2: Yeah. No. With that, I I think uh, people could take advantage of that more. Mm-hmm. Not that we have millions of listeners every week, but yeah, just shoot us a message and you can come on and for five minutes and talk about whatever it is and. And we could help support it um, because it's just helping each other grow. Everybody wins. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So until next time. Keep moving forward. Keep learning.
1: And make your own path.